You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake the booties for Black Girl Nerds. Life's more fun when you're out finding adventure together, and the new Santa Fe is designed to help you get more out of that quality time. The Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV with intuitive technology. The newly designed Santa Fe offers H-Track all-wheel drive capability, intuitive tech, and safety features to get you where you're going with confidence and the personalized style to do it your own way. An SUV with family fun in mind that proves that out together is truly better. It's got H-Track all-wheel drive, dynamic safety features, dual blind spot view monitor, and user profiles with a 10.25-inch full-touch infotainment screen. To learn more, go to Hyundai.com. Honey Girl, a coming-of-age debut by Morgan Rogers, follows a young black woman just finishing her Ph.D. in astronomy who impulsively gets married in Vegas and decides to leave her perfectly ordered life for a summer in New York with the wife she barely knows. Honey Girl is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Angelica, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Ryan. Say hey, Ryan. Hello, everybody. Hi, we're back, guys, to recap Lovecraft Country Episode 5, entitled Strange Case. And it was very, very strange. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's not my favorite episode because that will always go with Episode 6, but it this definitely was one of my favorite episodes to date. Um, what did you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a favorite because it was a lot of moments where I wanted to kind of like, because I'm not much for the the gore and like the whole, mm. I guess, ickiness of it for a lack of a better word. So, but because it, it was a lot of scenes where you just wanted to look away, but you couldn't. So mm. <laughs> I guess that's a testament to a lot of things. But yeah, I definitely thought it was interesting. Um, I love the the idea, the concept of it because you don't think about, you know, like just having that opportunity, especially in the 50s to be able to do something like that. Is mm-hmm. is really is really interesting and like my favorite line by Ruby was like I you know I don't have to spend any money because I just use the only currency I needed so I thought that was cool you know just those moments were like really interesting that they play with so yeah yeah this episode um I felt like if you didn't already know the struggle of the black experience especially mm-hmm. being a woman mm-hmm. this would probably be an education for you yeah oh absolutely um, yeah. And it brings me back to, like, throughout this entire episode, I was thinking of the Malcolm X quote um, that he said that the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most Mm. unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it just really like resonated with me. And I felt the core of that in this episode because the only time really that Ruby felt safe in this episode was when she was a white woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't say, I mean, from my personal experience, um, I'll be the first to say, due to my racial ambiguous looks and being a light-skinned mixed girl, um, I didn't really get a lot of that. I would see bits and pieces. So just that little taste of being mistreated because I wasn't white was enough. I cannot imagine being a darker-skinned woman in the 1950s, 1960s, in the south Mm -hmm. side of Chicago trying to absolutely, yeah. When very much still segregated, very much still racist, I can't imagine moving through that world. And then another, I mean, I can go on a tangent right now, but another complaint that I've noticed, especially within my friends group and from their experiences, is not only do they not feel protected in a white world, but a lot of Black women don't feel protected with Black men. Um, Mm, Yeah, yeah. So so it does harken back to Malcolm X's line that like the most disrespected person in America you know, the, uh, for lack of a better word, the bottom of the totem pole, especially then was black women. Um, so, and I'm really not sure where I'm going with this, but I it just, I just felt it. Um, yeah. Well, this episode, if you really pay attention, like, uh, uh, you know, we were talking before we started recording, if you pay attention to the dialogue, Mm-hmm. You know, when you really get into these episodes and the interesting thing about having, you know, uh, uh, you know, a black cast, a uh, black crew, you know, people of color that can point this kind of stuff out that you don't think about. It's going to bring up these questions. You know, right. you're talking about, you know, light skin, dark skin, talking about black women, how they're viewed, how they view themselves, you know, when they've had enough. You know, when they should, you know, when people should pay attention, you know, when mm-hmm. we should stand up for ourselves, this this whole, this episode will bring all that kind of stuff out for you, you know, and then also just the simple fact of being comfortable with who you are, you know, there's mm-hmm. only so much you can change. So right. it's, it's, it's a lot like this episode does all that for you. So if you want to get in all your feels and <laughs> like this episode will bring all that kind of stuff up for you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it even goes back to the first few episodes when you see the dynamic between Ruby and Letty, like mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. bringing it back to myself, like I would be more of a Letty moving through the world, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you mm-hmm. still, get put down, you still yeah. have your issues, but there's nowhere near the, the shit that Ruby would have gone through. Yeah, um, yeah. So it is almost cathartic to see Ruby kind of get her power back in this mm-hmm. episode yeah I mean, it really it is yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unconventional oh, yeah. How she did yeah. It. <laughs> yeah um but yeah we, let's get into it so mm-hmm. there's three storylines throughout these episodes you're going to see ruby you're going to see tick and letty you're going to see montrose so I, I basically broke it up into three different parts but everything's kind of running together yeah so First Lovecraft bite is Good Morning Love. Um, And if we remember from the last episode, uh, we saw William and Ruby getting it in on the stairs. Um, (laughs) So we kind of pan over a woman and you really can't tell who or what she is at this point. But you see a woman in covers in the fetal position. Looks like she just is waking up from a lover's tryst. And she's just like, oh, just get, you know, mm, you know how you feel you wake up in the morning, you're just like, okay, I'm feeling good. Except there's a small detail. <laughs> uh, it's a little detail. She's white. 
Um, and if and and if you're savvy, you'll realize that the woman naked in this bed is Dell, the groundskeeper from episode one. Um, mm-hmm. and she gets up, she's fully naked, she's looking at herself like there's something wrong, and she's like, you know, what's going on? She looks in the mirror in horror, and you hear her say, Wake up, Ruby, wake up. And it's like, oh, snap, that's Ruby. <laughs> and this white woman's body. <laughs> Um, so it was pretty jarring. So Ruby, as Dell, finds her way back to the South Side. I mean, she's obviously going to go home. You wake up in this white man's house as a white woman. Like, you're going to freak out and you're going to want to go home. Yeah. Um, so she's catching her, like, this strange new reflection in the mirror in the neighborhood. You know, the barbershop owner comes out and asks if she's okay. And, you know, she's like, why is everyone staring at me? I'm Ruby. You know, she's trying to convince people. Obviously, people think she's insane at this point. And she kind of tries to like storm away and knocks into this young man, a teenager with a big old thing of popcorn. And even he's concerned. He's like, ma'am, are you okay? And immediately she bumps into him, mind you, right? The cops roll up on him. Both and I, this scene was kind of funny to me because they both put their hands up. Like Ruby as Dell, the white woman, and the young man put their hands up. Mm-hmm. Ruby used to basically being bullied by the police so they take the boy they slam him up against the car they they push him to the floor they're about ready to beat him with the baton they're like what did you do to her did he did he molest you what did you do you little animal and ruby's like wait whoa whoa whoa, whoa. officers <laughs> he didn't do anything he was just trying to help and they're like are you yeah. sure you don't have to protect him mm-hmm. and she's like no 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 it's fine so they believe her because of course she's a white woman and they take her into the car put her in the back of the squad car and this interesting song plays it's called uh tonight you belong to me by patience and prudence which i thought was interesting because they're taking her back quote unquote to her husband which we later find out is william um and i'm like what has william done to her um and they basically explain to her like oh your husband called us and let us know you are wandering the streets that you know you need your pills and as all this is happening to Ruby, who doesn't want to go back to the north side of Chicago, she doesn't want to go back to that house where she was turned into this thing. Mm-hmm. And um, you can start to hear like bones break. And I'm like, what is going on? And then the camera pans back to her eyes and it's one brown eye and one blue eye. So you're just like, what's happening? So William gets her out the car with his fine ass, scoops her, scoops her out the car. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that in there. Her skin literally starts to crawl. Like you see something like crawling underneath of her skin. You see, you hear more bone cracking. It just sounds very painful. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. As a listener of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, you know what it's like to be a part of a supportive and engaging online community. You'll find that same level of support when you study computer science online with Oregon State University. Oregon State eCampus is an innovative provider of online education, renowned for its expertise in delivering computer science programs to students around the world. You'll receive support from before you even apply until the day you graduate. With one-on-one guidance from enrollment specialists, student success coaches, academic advisors, expert faculty, and a global student network. 
Because at Oregon State, you'll learn online, but never on your own. Choose from three dynamic offerings. A 60-credit post-baccalaureate program, if you're already a college grad, a Bachelor of Science program, or a cybersecurity certificate if you're seeking a credential to add to your resume. And work with a pre-admissions advisor to discover if Oregon State's computer science programs match up with your interests and career goals. See for yourself why Oregon State eCampus is consistently ranked in the nation's top 10 by U.S. News and World Report. Accelerate your career today. Visit ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash nerds to learn more. That's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash nerds. And William's like, stop it. You're going to make it worse. You're not letting it happen. He throws her onto the floor that's covered in plastic. So you're like, is he about to murder her? He puts on an apron, rubber gloves, takes a knife and shoves it into her chest and basically starts to open her up. And as Dell, as Ruby, as whatever, whatever this this person is, screams in agony and you see her mouth open. Then you see Ruby's actual eyes inside of Dell's mouth. Like it was the weirdest. Yeah, that, this scene was, yeah, this I was like, I, I did a lot of like trying to look away, but I couldn't because I was trying to figure out so badly what was going on. I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? And I thought she was, I was like, is she dying? Like I was confused. It, was, it took me a minute. I was like, what is happening? It was a little confusing. And as all this is going on, there's like a, a newscaster droning on about, you know, African cicadas and swarming yeah. mm-hmm. and how they shed their, their their skin and metamorphosis. And the whole theme of this episode basically is metamorphosis. So Ruby's like, I don't want to die. Am I dying? And and then William calmly says, like, metamorphosis isn't death. Silly, basically, and just starts just just taking her skin off like it's she he's shucking corn or something. It was just very interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you don't know what's happening to her at this point. You just know her skin is shutting in gory fashion. Um, so this this next Lovecraft bite is called The Morning After. Um, Montrose sits alone at the boarding house. And you can see the weight of his misdeeds are really just on him heavily and if you guys remember from the last episode he murdered yahima um so letty and tick walk in blissful you know not aware of anything that's going on you know they're asking him like hey what happened to yahima and he's like oh i let her go so you know letty is like really you let her go starts looking out the window and (laughs) tick knows better he looks at his father he sees the guilt in his eyes and without a word starts beating the shit out of him like just just went off Letty is screaming for help because she fears that he's going to end up killing his own father. So the boarders rush in, they pull Tick off and he just storms off. He goes into the basement and he's like, where is it? Where are the pictures? You know, like just like a monster essentially. And Letty is shaken. Like she's just staring at him in, in complete shock. Like she doesn't even know who this man is. And he just leaves. Um, but you know, she got that bad though. She was still ready. Yeah. She did. And the camera camera came down to the bat. So she didn't have it prior to going down into the basement. So obviously she felt away and she felt threatened by Tick. Um, 
So go yeah, back. she yeah, like, she was nervous. Woo, you saw that look on her face? She was like, Oh god, he's about to she lose was it. Nervous. Yeah, so it goes back to the black woman being unprotected. Like Letty had to take care of herself because Tick was out of control. Um so we later see an exhausted Ruby. I mean, she just transformed, right? Um, she's mm-hmm. in William's bed once again. Looks like she's taking a nap. William enters in nothing but a towel, which I was happy to see. He takes takes off his <laughs> towel. You catch his booty. Um, and I want to point out the closets. Like on one side of the room, there's Christina's clothes. And on the other side, there's William's clothes. And I was watching this episode like... Do they share a room? Like I just, you know, you're gonna. Like, I totally, I totally miss that. Like it's so much. That's why I, this. That's the one thing about the show. It's so much in a scene that you can grab onto. Yeah. That I wasn't even looking. I was looking at other stuff that I didn't even notice that because I was still like the second watch is easier for you to notice stuff, but the first mm-hmm. time you like you don't get none of that kind of stuff until later. You like, okay, oh. yeah, I definitely missed all them clues. Well, if you notice on second rewatch, William goes to Christina's side of the closet, takes a scarf, and then goes to his side of the closet and uses mm. Christina's scarf as an ascot for his outfit for the day. So mm, there you go. Right. It's a clue. And you're just like, okay, that's interesting. Um, mm. And he starts to talk about, you know, caterpillars um, and butterflies and their metamorphosis how they come from the same molecules and he speaks on applying that to humans like that's what he wanted to do but the academic community basically laughed him out until he ran into disgraced scientist Hiram Epstein who helped him concoct this magical potion and if you guys remember Hiram was the ghost (laughs) and the owner of Letty's house so the man that was basically kicked out of the community the scientific community for experimenting on humans specifically black people so ruby is terrified she pretends like she's asleep while he's telling her all this and he's just like ruby i know you're not sleeping and she opens her eyes and looks up and there's butterflies flying over top of her head and it harkens back to the title card which i forgot to mention which is a silhouette of ruby and it's shaped basically by butterflies like butterflies are flying away from ruby's silhouette so i thought that was a that's one of my favorite title cards actually of uh, the series um so he basically reassures ruby that she she didn't die (laughs) that night um the potion that she was given basically morphs her into a white woman morphs her or mimics the metamorphosis of a butterfly and a caterpillar um and ruby kind of is shocked that magic exists but kind of takes it all in stride and william asked her like are you scared and she was like i was scared when i woke up as a white woman but i soon realized you know during my moment of panic when i'm wandering the streets people weren't scared of me they were actually scared for me and William notes like, oh, they treated you like a human being. And she tells him like, look, that's cool or whatever, but I don't want to ever experience that again. And not the part about being white, the part about shedding your skin and your body breaking apart. Um, she said she was unmade. So she asks William like, hey, am I free to go? <laughs> and William tells her she can do whatever she wants. He leaves the potion on the nightstand along with a big old stack of money and he just leaves. So we find out that that Ruby basically changed her mind. She decides to take the potion and we see her later on um, dressed as a white woman. 
having a blissful day as a white woman, you know, having ice cream. She didn't have any money, but she had the ice cream for free, walking amongst a crowd of people unbothered, you know, reading the newspaper at the park on a lovely, beautiful day. And this is all a montage set against the voiceover of, um, forgive me if I say her name wrong, uh, Tozaki Shangi's poem, Dark Phrases. And I'm actually going to read just a little bit of it because I thought it was really amazing, like this poem. And it was originally written for um, for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Um, I don't know if you saw that traumatizing movie. We're not going to get into that, but <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's all. That all came flooding back to me. Yeah, when I heard when I did the research, yeah, I was like, yeah. I yeah, mean, that's another movie in your feels. You know, maybe one it time was- watching, you kind of move on past it. Um, not not quite well as executed as Lovecraft Country, but it, it, we'll, we'll give it to TP. We'll give it to Tyler. But this yeah, is um, yeah. part of the poem that was in the montage. So it says, somebody, anybody, sing a black girl's song. Bring her out to know herself, to know you, but sing her rhythm. Karen, struggle, hard times, sing her a song of life. She's been dead so long, closed in silence so long. She doesn't know the sound of her own voice, her infinite beauty. She half notes scattered without rhythm, no tune, sings her sighs, sing the song of her possibilities, sing a righteous gospel. Let her be born, let her be born and handled warmly. So the experience that Ruby is having as this white woman is something that a black woman would love to have, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's something that they aspire to have, but sadly, in this time, that's not a possibility. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's just very. This whole scene is very interesting. You just kind of see her walking around, and just, and I don't know. It's just so many emotions you have because it's like we keep saying the fifties. I mean, mm. even even now, there's still things as we already know as far as race and and being um you know a black woman, women of color. But you just thinking about even more further back in the fifties what they were going through, and just to have that option for somebody to like say, hey for a day or just if you know however you need it i got this potion for you that like this day you can this day can be easy for you like mm-hmm. you're not worried about people thinking you stole something and you can you know like she didn't have to use any money that day because people were nope. just giving her stuff like it was nope. just it's just a very interesting concept for somebody to think of to put in a show yep she was a cute little white girl and basically got her way um, so we, we cut to Tick at the shop cleaning his bruised knuckles after beating the crap out of his dad. And Lenny enters giving him the undeveloped photos of Titus's pages. Tick thanks her for stopping him. And she kind of wonders out loud if he would have killed him if, if she hadn't been there. And Tick admits that he thought about it a lot when he was a boy, you know, cause Montrose used to beat him mercilessly Mm -hmm. and he never thought himself capable of violence until the war and um i kind of i actually love this scene because letty tells him like i'm i'm scared of this side of you i've never seen it before i'm I'm really scared and tick like gently grabs her hand and he just says please don't be scared of me and i was like okay honey (laughs) and she (laughs) takes him up into her arms like he's a little baby and cradles him and you know they kiss and letty basically gets a redo of her first time like this is what her first time should have been not up in the bathroom (laughs) on the sink you know this time it was like 
on a car, on the couch. I know hip going to be mad if they don't clean that up. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord, not clean it up. Clean it up. Um, and so, like, they're like they're making love. Like, it's not just, like, a hot and heavy moment or they just needed to not to feel numb. Like, this is, they love, you can see they love each other. And in the background, the music, I mean, not physically in their background, but for the audience, um, this song called Return to Love by Black Atlas plays. And it just really just sets the mood. I was just like, I yeah, love this. Yeah, the song really fit. Yeah, it did, yeah. I'm loving this. And I'm sorry, I did not know Miss um, Journey Smollett had a body like that. I was like, okay, Lenny. <laughs> well, like, actually, me and my sister stick. were checking out, and my sister was like, no, not Journey. You know, cause it's just we. It's it's not weird, but it's like you're used to seeing her in other elements or other yeah. other scenes. So it kind of it kind of took you back. You're like, oh, oh okay. I guess okay. it's the scene we're having right now. Yeah, I mean, because I don't think we've ever seen her naked. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I was trying because I kept trying to think back. I was like, maybe it was something I haven't seen or I just missed something before. But no. yeah, it, that was different. I was like, okay, all right, Journey. Uh, yeah, she was pretty wholesome. She was a child star. So, I mean, she's a grown woman now. So I was like, okay, sis, go ahead and do your squats. I ain't mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just thinking. Yeah, I didn't even think. Yeah, that. Yeah, well, she did. Yeah, we didn't know about the the workout routine. But yeah, I wouldn't even think of that for. I was just thinking the fact, like you said, people that have on clothes. And I was like, is this the scene that we go with? I was like, all right then. But yeah, they had they they had all the scene, all the music, and all the feels of the scene. All the feels. I thought, you know, I thought that John the Majors had a nice butt, but Journey <laughs> beat him. Go ahead, Journey. That's cool. I was just like, this is this is a lot to take in. I don't know how I feel right now. But anyways, yeah, it was uh, a, yeah that was a lot in that one. <laughs> so um back at the house, Tick decodes the pages of Titus's book using his ring. And it's kind of like, I mean, Letty had mentioned it, like little Annie decoder. So he he kind of starts off with his ring because his ring has his initials. So at least knows, you know, A and F. Our, our our Atticus's, you know, he at least has those two letters down, right? And then he kind of checks it out with Chinese hieroglyphics. So he's kind of has like kind of a base to decode these pages. Mm. And, um, you know, Letty's just like, this would have been so much easier with Yahima. And she's like, well, I'm kind of glad your dad, you know, let her go. Although, you know, viewers will understand that Yahima is a they, not a her but she's like hey you know i'm glad he let her go because she kind of lived her whole you know the, the whole half the rest of her life kind of trapped and now she's free and tick is just like about that um my dad you know the book he got rid of yeah he got rid of yahima too and let just like what oh no and she's like this is evil oh this is evil oh no no nah, no nah, hell no nah. we need to get rid of this stuff and Tika's urges are like, no, 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 my dad did it to protect me. None of this is inherently evil. It's just kind of how you how you use it. And, you know, he did this to protect us. And she's like, no, 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 this is evil. Look what you, look what your dad did to protect us, right? Like you're saying you want to use this magic to help us and protect us, but look what happened as a result of it. And I mean, she kind of has a point. Like mm -hmm. this is, this can corrupt you. So more on that. Um, so later on, you know, after her bloody transformation, uh, one of her many at this point in the episode, um, Ruby's in a bubble bath and she's singing 
Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea by Frank Sinatra, which I thought was pretty fitting, considering William essentially is a deal with the devil. Um, And William enters. He's pleased that she's returned. Um, Ruby is really kind of suspicious of his intentions. She's not exactly sure why he's sharing magic with her. She's like, I'm not, you know, that special. You could do this with like any woman, let alone a colored woman. And William does something very kind of sweet and kind of intimate. He bathes her and he tells her that when he saw her for the first time, he saw magic and all he wants of her, you know, she can do whatever she wants, but all he wants from her is a simple favor. He owes a lady friend, you know, a favor. So she is like, I guess, you know, she doesn't really want to do it, whatever it is. Cause I mean, who wants to agree to something that you don't know what you're going to yeah, do? Yeah, that's what I say. This whole thing just feels sketch, but you you can see like what she's been, what Ruby's been through. You see why it appeals to her. But the whole time you're thinking, oh God, what does he want? What does he want? Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of a good deal. Like you're in this big old house with this attractive white man. He's giving you a bath. Why not? You know, why not? Uh, <laughs> and he actually asked her like why didn't she take the money on the nightstand and you know to quote back to what you were saying earlier Ruby says she didn't need it because the o- she used the only currency she she ever needed which was whiteness um, and she says something pretty profound she says I don't know what is more difficult being colored or being a woman most days I'm happy to be both but the world keeps on interrupting and I am sick of being interrupted um, and William asks, well, what's the next thing for Ruby uninterrupted? And it kind of like, like, it kind of makes you think like Ruby's right. You know, like I'm living in my own world. I'm happy to be myself, but I can never be myself because I'm constantly getting interrupted. And you're just like, that's a novel thought. You know, like if you think about it, are you able to move even now through your life without being interrupted? Mm hmm. And I, well, I like how the decision where she was like, okay, well, let's be, what do we do now? You know, like, let me try this, you know, not being uninterrupted. What do I do now? You know, I like that. I like that she has, she's always kind of playing both sides of that, you know, throughout the episode. Yep. Yep. And then we cut to the coveted Marshall Fields and Cardi B's money plays money. All I really need is a money. Yeah, I love Cardi how B. they use Cardi B. I love how they use Cardi B. It's so dope. <laughs> Cardi B has actually been featured a lot in this this season this yeah. series. Uh, so dope, so dope how they did it. So um, so Ruby interviews Adam Marshall Field as Hillary Davenport. That's her new identity, and she actually used her real resume. I don't know if anyone picked up on that, but the resume that she presented to Paul, the manager, was the fact that she went to high school. The fact that she took all these accounting courses, and you know, really carved herself into this businesswoman but because she was black she was never considered i like how he says too during the whole thing where he's like i did that kind of took me i was like seriously sir where he was like well I'm, i need to be afraid that you're gonna take my job right i was like seriously when she came up for the job interview before right but then he didn't know right because she was black <laughs> and not the white right. woman. i was just like really right now like i wanted to punch the screen knowing good well what time period we in and what's happening but i was just yeah. like seriously sir yeah she was basically she's basically the most qualified person there essentially but she would never be considered because she was a black woman and up until that point marshall fields had a white only policy it only now ended and as a result of that tamara was hired 
Um, and actually, Paul asked her about that. He's like, how do you feel about working with coloreds? And she was just like, oh, well, as long as they're qualified and hardworking, I'm fine with it. And so with that being said, he offers her the job as assistant manager, not just a regular worker. She's basically number two there. And he gives her like this big inappropriate hug. And <laughs> at this point, yeah. it's time mm-hmm. to re-up on that potion. But because he's all touchy-feely, she drops it and is like, okay, I got to go. And ends up going to like the service area of the department store. And this is like the first time you get a glimpse of what the transformation looks like without assistance from William. And <laughs> there's like blood everywhere. She's looks like her skin is peeling off and she's like in this elevator. And then like, we're kind of spared the rest of <laughs> the transformation. At this oh yeah. Point. And by the way, speaking of all these transformations and stuff, guys, um, Michael Watson, um, cause you know, we, uh, the previous, it wasn't this past Monday, was it? Or before, okay, I will just say the episode before this that we released about uh, Michael Watson, the cinematographer, co-cinematographer. He did like five through nine. So he gives us kind of, I couldn't really give too much away for you guys because I didn't want to spoil it. But he does give us some little details on how he kind of made this movie magic on seeing all this like goopiness and stuff on like for Ruby. So yeah, it's pretty cool if you guys get a chance to go back and check it out. Yeah, definitely plug that in, guys. Um, And I forgot to mention another thing that Ruby used from her real life to score this interview outside of her resume skills was the fact that she told the story of why she was interested in working at Marshall Fields. Because when her mother, who we kind of learned was kind of a loose woman, uh, when her mother broke up with a boyfriend, she would take her and Letty to a department store and kind of go shopping. And she always remembers looking at the salespeople who were so happy to see them. So she, her hope and her dream was to to kind of bring that same joy to people when she was older to be on the other side of the counter. So I thought that was interesting. So now she's not only on the other side of the counter, she's on the other side of the color line, but mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. Uh, so <laughs> the next segment, the next Lovecraft bite, the last one is called Butterfly. Um, and we see a saddened Montrose show up at Sammy's apartment. Uh, he barely says a word, you know, he just walks into Sammy's apartment and just gets to the business. They like undo their pants. And then you hear bad religion by Frank oceans, which is one of my favorites play as, um, Montrose basically takes it all out on Sammy. I was like, good Lord, Sammy, he don't deserve that. And we kind of (laughs) learn that Montrose is gay, which, or closeted, I should say, which kind of explains a lot. And it was, I mean, it's been alluded to throughout the show. We know that mm-hmm. Sammy is gay, um, but it kind of explains a lot of the resentment and a lot of the issues and a lot of the trauma and pain that Montrose went through, yeah. considering he's hiding who he really is in the society where being gay was taboo, and mm-hmm. especially with black men. Like, uh, the mark of a great or good black man is is just masculinity and strength. And so a lot of times gay men are seen as feminine and soft. So it makes people kind of think about why Montrose is the way he is. He is quite the opposite of soft and feminine. It feels like he's overcompensating. And it seems like a lot of what he did to Tick, who who we learned was kind of a frail, you know, dreamy, whimsical child. It seems like for lack of a better word, Montrose was trying to beat the gay out of Tick, you know? Um, so it just mm, explains yeah, so yeah. much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just like, oh, that makes sense. And so, you know, 
Shout out to Sammy for taking that. Um, so let me go later to Oh Lord, we shout that nah, shout out to Sammy. Shout out to Sammy. Oh, uh, <laughs> look, there was way more I could say about that scene. I, yeah, I, I thought you were gonna keep going. I would say, oh Lord, they about to have to put some other kind of ratings on this episode. Yeah, folks really had a lot to say. Um, so I'm just gonna <laughs> leave it at that. It was a little shocking. You're like, oh snap, okay. So, anyways, Hillary <laughs> proudly oversees her store. She is now the assistant manager. She has her cute little plaque, you know, her cute little name tag. This is assistant manager, Hillary Davenport. Paul comes over, kisses her hand, wishes her good luck. Inappropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah, Paul got some problems with this. He got to learn his little place and not cross the lines and stuff. Right? Don't touch. So Hillary makes a beeline for Tamra, who she immediately admonishes, like, "Why are you not at your, you know, at your station? How can you help people if you're not present?" And Tamra's like, "I'm so sorry. I had to restock." And then this person, like, she was frantic. She's freaking out. And Hillary slash Ruby's basically like, "I'm just, you know, I'm just." I'm, I'm just trying to get to know you. I'm told that you applied for this job on a whim. And she kind of, and so Tamara's like, wait, I told you that? And she's like, oh, well, maybe Paul told me, which kind of gives away the fact that this conversation was had when Ruby was Ruby. And so she kind of changes the subject and was like, well, you know, at least you can fall back on the fact that even though you're the only black employee here, that you have your education. And Tamara's like, I never graduated high school. She's like, oh, so you, you, you at least took some accounting courses, you know, at the local, you know, community college. And she's just like, mm, no, I didn't do that. So this pisses off Ruby because Ruby done, did all these things mm-hmm. to get herself prepared for this job. And here comes Tamara, who probably has like a sixth grade education, who just scoops up the job. And <laughs> she says the worst thing you can say to a black person. She was like, and by the way, your hands are ashy. Bye, Ashy, basically, <laughs> is what she says. And, you know, it's so funny. I'm watching this episode now because the other day my boyfriend said, I don't know, he thinks random things. He was like, how would you feel if a white person told you you were Ashy and offered you some lotion? And it was so random. And then the, this pops up in this episode. <laughs> so, like, how would you feel, Ryan? Like, sometimes I feel like white people, white people don't even know what Ashy is. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it, it is kind of a yeah. The people like they take very seriously. You making sure you got your lotion and your Vaseline. That's all I'm gonna say. Like it's very serious. Uh, with black people, like you got to make sure. Like they will call you out. Like you trying to like. Well, you know we don't do it now because it's pandemic. But you know, in the back in the day, I guess I can either say we used to shake hands or do something that somebody would notice that your hands are ashy. Yes. But uh, yeah, you'd be like, mm, did you have to point that out? But yeah, they, I guess they did. But you like, really, did you gotta, you have to tell me that right now? You could have just get a little dab and kept it moving. But yeah, they will tell you if you're ashy. Look, there's one thing black people tell you is about your ash. You cannot go nowhere without putting on some lotion. Mm-hmm. When I go to bed at night, I lotion up and I put some Vaseline on my lips, a big old glob of Vaseline and go to bed. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, everybody be looking at all that stuff. You just like, ah. You, it's just it just makes you mad when you get called out, but then you like you know you probably look at somebody else that doesn't have it done because you so used to somebody saying something to you. But yeah, it is, never, it's definitely it's definitely aggravating. You like really? Did you have to point that out? Really? I remember I was in school one time and it was the winter time. You know, you get ashy, extra ashy. Yeah, oh yes, time. the winter time is the worst. Yes. 
And you know, I thought I lotioned up, but it was cold, and you know, my my I had jeans on. And I think my jeans lifted. You could see my ankles. You know, and my my mm-hmm. my uh, my co my worker my one of my <laughs> one of my fellow students was like, "Girl, your ankles all ashy." And I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> Yeah, it is the worst. It is so embarrassing. You like really? Did you have to point that out? But yeah, it's it's a mess. Like I hate. It's just the worst. It's just the yeah, worst. The black stroke. And then one more anecdote. Um, I remember I was playing soccer. I must have been like ten or eleven years old. And I was mm-hmm. like, I remember. And most of my teammates were white. And I remember like, oh my god, I'm so ashy. And they're like, what's that? What's ashy? And I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> when your skin get like ashy, like when your skin gets dry and it's like ashy, like I don't even know how to explain it. To yeah, them. I feel like, like that's right up there. I feel like that's right up there. But when they like think we don't get sunburned and stuff, right, right, right. Yeah, they they didn't know. <laughs> so yeah, so basically, Ruby was hella rude by telling Tamara she was ashy. Yeah, um, I felt bad. Poor Tamara. <laughs> So back in the stock room, Hillary and her white employees try on clothes. So Hillary's like, okay, that's enough. We've been gone for 30 minutes. Time to get back to work. And they're like, no, 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 girls, try on this. And they give her a pair of stilettos. Um, and she agrees to put them on. And as they're putting them on her feet, she asks about Paul. They're like, hey, has Paul ever been fresh with y'all? And they're like, <laughs> Paul, Mary, Paul, no, never. So it just kind of <laughs> makes you think, what is it about? out uh, not Tamara about Hillary that makes him act like that but Mm -hmm. we'll get to it so they begin to dance to Pat Boone's awful cover of Little Richard's Tutti Frutti like the white (laughs) the whitewash version and the ladies are like super impressed by Hillary's dancing like she's moving her hips she got rhythm and they're like oh girl you ready for the colored show like yeah they right though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they ask her about maybe possibly asking Tamra to take them over to the south side to a to a bar to kind of see what it's like, you know, to be I don't know, I guess they just think that black people are some type of curiosity and they kind of talk down on Tamra. Um, you know, they said, you know, she could never be qualified because she's a negro, but yet somehow they want to be in her world and Ruby's annoyed with this and she, they're like, can you imagine being on the South side with a bunch of, and she's like, what people and you're like, she's kind of standing up for it. Cause at this point, when you really think about this scene, Ruby is being welcomed into a world that she would have never been a part of. Right. She's seeing the other side of the curtain. She's basically having conversations with white folks that they would never have with her. If they had known that she was a black woman, they wouldn't be saying that shit. And as a matter of fact, they refer to Tamara as a Negro but then one of the girls was like, well, what? I could have called her, you know, the unclassy word, which mm. obviously is the N-word. So, I mean, it makes me think of people in their homes and being a, like a fly on the wall and what they're really saying about you in white homes. I mean, it, I mean, racism isn't dead, y'all. You know, there's. Yeah, yeah. And she having to participate. I think the awkward part for me when I was thinking just how she felt being that way, because, you know, you can't really. And then it's like she's in the middle. Because it's like, you can say something because she knows, like, obviously, you know, she's a black woman, but you're white, you know what I mean? And it's saying you're white. So it's just like, what are you going to say? But you're thinking, how could you say these kind of things? You know, it's like, that was, that was such an awkward position for her to be in. I was like, man, I can't even imagine. Yeah. She kind of had to play along, but then she also kind of took up. So it was, it was her kind of 
skirting the middle. So after mm-hmm. the after work, the ladies noticed William looking very fine, <laughs> waiting outside. <laughs> of her yeah, he did look fly in front of the car. I'll give him that. He did look fly with the car there, with the with the ba- baby powder blue car. Okay, mm-hmm. with his little leg tucked behind his other leg. Yeah, he was showing leg. off. He was showing off. He was showing off. So the ladies were really impressed. They're like, wow, what a hunk of man. He's with you. And Ruby's like, well, if he behaves himself. So William walks over to give her a kiss. And she kind of turns her cheek. Because she basically don't want to kiss William as Hillary. Is she going to kiss William? Well, she doesn't say it. But you know, if she wants to kiss William, she wants to be Ruby. And William's like, look, I'll kiss you and whatever whoever you want to be and then he calls in his favor and i do not like how he did ruby he's like i got you something that has your name written yes all that was the worst that was so bad she's all happy opening this present this package thinking he bought her something it's a maid's outfit and she turns around and looks at him like with the biggest look of disgust like really nigga basically was the face <laughs> yeah that's the, yeah that's exactly what her face looked like yeah, and then he tells her, like, put it on. I'm I need you to, you know, do this thing for me. Christina was gonna give you directions later. So she ends up serving at at the lodge as a maid for this party. Um, she meets Christina, who's like an hour late, so she's already pissed she had to sit here and do this dumb mess in a maid cost. Like just, you know, she's been a white woman with with power this whole time and now she's back to being a lowly black maid. Like who wants to do that? Right. And so they, you know, she talks to Christina who gives her this rock with this image on it and it looks like one of the symbols from Titus's pages and she tells Ruby that she wants her to sneak into the captain's office and put it there. And she's like, "Wait a second." captain cops oh you about to get me killed no i'm not doing it so christina kind of plays on ruby's emotions and she says do you even care about william and ruby doesn't say anything and she goes you know william was the rightful heir of this lodge captain lancaster shot him in the back and threw it in the river and left him for dead to take his seat i found him and i helped him and now he can exact his revenge. So we don't know exactly what this rock is, but we know it has to have some magic to it. So Ruby sneaks into the office, puts it in his desk drawer, and is about to leave, but then she hears the captain come in. So she basically ducks for cover in the closet, except for there's this white man with his tongue cut out, hanging in handcuffs in the closet. And you're just like, what the hell? Yeah. What's yeah. going on here? Um, and then she's kind of forced to kind of be with this dude in the closet as he's like, calling for help and she's holding his mouth in and she could feel like his lack of tongue like it was just gruesome and the captain Mm -hmm. is talking about christina and the order and all types of stuff and he takes off his shirt and you notice that like he has looks like the torso of a black man like you're just like what is going on here yeah Um, it's a lot in this scene it's a lot it's a lot to unpack and she's basically shell-shocked so even it carries over to the next day when she's at the department store and she's basically going in on Tamara for like not arranging, you know, the, the shoes. Right. And she's like telling her like, you know, in order to be a, a credit to your race, you have to work harder than anybody. Cause these white folk got a lot of crazy shit going on and you're going to find yourself <laughs> locked in a closet with a white man. And you're just like, 
what? <laughs> and so Paul <laughs> walks up and, and kind of asks what's going on. And Ruby pivots pretty easily. And she says like, oh, just, you know, I'm just talking to Tamara. You know, she's agreed to take us to the South Side to, you know, partake and let our hair down. And so they're all like happy to go. And Tamara's kind of has no choice. Um, and then later we see Sammy and his friends dress up in drag and they're getting ready for the ball. And Tammy's doing um doing some light a light beat on Montrose. <laughs> I mean, at this point, his eye is swollen shut. Uh so he has to do something. Oh, man. Yeah. To be presented. I think he needed a little bit. I think he needed more than a little light beat. You know, I think he needed a little right. extra. He needed to be beat beat. Um, and so, um, and then Sammy, and they're actually listening to Tutti Fruity, like the real Tutti Fruity by yeah, Little Yeah, it's the right one that she's supposed to listen to. The right one, not that horrific whitewashed cover. And so, um, you know, Sammy talks about his upcoming performance at the ball, and he will be basically inspired by African cicadas um, and metamorphosis. So, again, calling back to this whole idea of shutting yourself and becoming a butterfly and morphing into something new and beautiful. It's peppered throughout this entire episode. So at the bar on the South side, the ladies are really delighted with the lively music. The fact that it like has a beat. Um, <laughs> they're surrounded uh-huh. by black people. Right. And exactly. And Ruby just isn't feeling it. So they all start dancing and she's like, ah, oh, so you got, you know, I'll, I'll be there in a sec. But instead she kind of goes behind the bar and, and the alley and she's, she's, she knows she's up for another round of potion in order to kind of maintain Hillary's body, but she decides against it. And this is when we see the full bloody gory transformation. Um, Her bones break, her skin tears like, how can I even describe this? Like meat being torn apart and she's covered in blood and it's yeah, shit really disgusting everywhere. And, you know, to myself, I'm thinking like, who's going to like, what is someone going to think when they find like the mess, like this bloody mess with white skin? <laughs> yeah, that's, true. that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, you know, they thought ahead of that, but, um, so she, I mean, but at least Ruby planned ahead. Cause she had clothes waiting for her and she kind of wrapped herself up and, she hides in an alley when she hears Paul and Tamara. And Paul is essentially harassing Tamara. He has her pinned against the wall. He's like, come on, let me smell it. I heard you guys taste sweet. Like, he's talking about a black woman's body parts like it's some type of exotic fruit. Like, this mother effer. And yeah. so... Tamara's like, no, I don't want to. And she bites him to get away from him. And, you know, guys plug up your ear to this offense. I mean, it's offensive, but he yells at her and calls her a nigger bitch. And that was like, no, he did not use the hard R. I'm yeah. Yeah. He was just, yeah. Paul would just be pissing you off throughout this episode. Paul was hella disrespectful mm-hmm. and Tamara did not deserve that, but he will get his just desserts at the end mm-hmm. of this episode. So at the ball, Montrose watches a very confident Sammy who is very much in his own performing. Um, Lonely World by Moses Sunny plays and Sammy pulls Montrose into a dance. And then you kind of see Montrose slowly open up and he embraces his true self. He gets lifted up while he's dancing and the party goers lift him up and, 
you know, a, a shower of glitter just comes down on him and he kind of feels at peace. He's freed and he goes and grabs him and he kisses him. And it seems like he's owning who he is, right? He's He doesn't have to be closeted, although we know even then being gay was like a crime. So like this whole ball that Sammy has had to be done in secret. Um, but it still gives him like a sense of freedom. And it was kind of nice not to see Montrose sad and depressed and, you know, angry or ornery. Like he was actually happy for once. Um, so yeah. And he's like a, he was like a beautiful black butterfly. Like another metamorphosis happened in this episode and it happened Mm -hmm. with Montrose. So back at the house, Ruby is still covered in Hillary's blood sitting on the couch. So she didn't take a bath yet. I guess she's, maybe she's waiting for William to give her a bath. Who knows? And (laughs) she's looking at the vial potion and Christina comes up from the basement and locks it and tries to kind of like level with Ruby. Ruby's like, what's going on with that basin? Why are you always locking the door? And Christina kind of distracts her and tells her like, I know how you feel. Like I'm a woman. She's like, shut the fuck up. You have no idea how I feel. You have no idea what my struggle is. And Christina basically tells her like, I understand And what you need to understand is that William's offer isn't about being a white woman. Like, white women want to be black women. Black women want to be white women. This is not what it's about. It's about doing whatever the fuck you want to do. So you tell me, who are you uninterrupted? That's the second time this question has been asked of Ruby. Mm -hmm. And I guess we get to see it. So (laughs) Ruby basically meets up with Paul. Paul needs to talk to her. Apparently, it's about fire and Tamara who he's basically trying to retaliate because she refuses to sleep with him and Hillary Ruby whatever you want to call her turns in her resignation you know citing the fact that she's in love with Paul and she just doesn't think it will be professional work with him anymore so this is all like a guys she gets him all basically wrapped around her finger ties him up gags him with her panties and was like does it taste sweet now but at the time you don't realize what she's saying and then um she takes her stiletto and sodomizes him very very violently while cardi b's bodak yellow plays and they're talking about bloody shoes um and that i mean the stiletto is bloody um and i see i'm gonna say this much and the the writer of this show and even misha green kind of made this uncomfortable for a reason was it hard to see paul sodomized so viciously essentially raped for lack of a better word was that hard to watch yes did he deserve it probably because you know they they were kind of toying around with the idea of actually showing him assaulting Tamara, like actually hurting Tamara. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to kind of establish a pattern of him being this awful person, but they kind of decided to step away from that and left it more ambiguous. So it left you feeling away, like this was wrong, but was it? And then and- also too, oh, go ahead, go ahead. So I was going to say, and so basically she did all this and we don't know if she's doing this for Tamara, if she's mm-hmm. doing this for every black woman that ever lived, that was ever violated. But she tells them like, I, and I mean, as this is happening, her, her, her skin is shutting. So she's going from Hillary to Ruby. And mm-hmm. she was like, I wanted you to know that a nigger bitch did this to you. And she walks out with her bloody shoes. Um, but go ahead and, and, and say your thoughts. 
Uh, no, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what I was going to say too, was that I, I love how they were, um, they were basically saying, you know, a black woman could, would not be able to confront him like this and get justice for what was done to her. So it was right. interesting how she came in, like you said, she came into the scene as Hillary and we get to see that transformation, you know, as you know, you could say whether he deserved it or not, you know, something, I'll put it like this, in my opinion, something needed to happen to him because that's not right. And right. that's something they probably had to deal with constantly in that day and age, in that era. What, what you know, what women are still dealing with today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like the lack of there would be nobody to check him, and like just really nothing would happen back in that day, like in the fifties. Yeah, you know, like it was expected. Like, oh, you did something wrong. You had to do something for him to be for him to do that to you. Exactly, and you know, so a lot of it had to do with a sense of justice. Um, probably a lot of pent up anger that Ruby has had her entire life navigating this world as a black woman feeling helpless and now finally having power and essentially Paul represented every white man or every white person that has ever abused or hurt a black person and Ruby was taking justice back into her own hands and you know I bet Paul ain't never gonna touch nobody again Mm -hmm. so lesson learned there and so (laughs) the episode Paul probably gonna be in the hospital a couple uh, weeks (laughs) <laughs> Paul gonna need to have that little donut <laughs> pillow. You're not gonna be able to for a yep. while. Mm, I, my butt hurt <laughs> watching that scene. Oh, like, I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling away. All right. Um. So Tick, <laughs> great transition. Tick finds bloody. <laughs> Of uh, reading a Bible in the in a bubble bath, different type of bubble bath scene than what uh, Ruby had earlier in the episode, and she kind of tells him like. You know, I never quite believed in religion. Every time my mom had an issue with a man, you know, she would take us to church. So in Ruby's world, they went to the department store to kind of get away from their mother's pain. And then in Letty's world, they went to church. And she was like, you know, it was always kind of an act for me. And I really believed in it. But I find myself like praying for Yahima. Um, And she kind of asked him like, you know, what are we doing, Tick? And Tick levels with her and tells her, um, you know, I fell in love with this woman or I thought I fell in love with this woman in the war. Her name was Gia in Korea. And, you know, I never really knew what a good relationship looked like because while my parents' love was enduring, it was not really conventional because we now know that that Montrose is gay. And so obviously the relationship, the dynamic between his mom and his dad wouldn't be necessarily normal because we don't really know if Montrose was attracted to his wife he could have very well just married her for the sake of appearing like a normal heterosexual man so mm-hmm. he did not get a, a good example of, of of love and then letty obviously had a, a not a great example either because her mother was basically out the, out in these streets with a bunch of men so none of them really know what love looks like but you know tick believes that what they have is real and that it's something right like this is real i believe in you and me and so you're just like oh finally these two finally came together and um you know another cute couple uh ruby and william (laughs) so ruby waits up for william she wants to know what's in the basement because william comes upstairs from the basement she's like you and christina stay down there what's going on and before william can even explain himself you start to hear bones crack <laughs> and mm. skin peel apart. And many people knew this, guess this, William and Christina are the same person. And Ruby's like, you mean to tell me you were William this whole time? 
page. I actually really love this reveal. And I don't believe, if quote me if I'm right here, that William was a character in the books. Like yeah, this- I, no, he wasn't. Because I was getting ready to say that, too, that I thought it was interesting. Because I keep going back to, like, the books when you're talking. Because they say Caleb. Mm-hmm. in the books so cool. i keep going back like it's like that weird switch yeah so it's like that weird switch up they did but yeah it's interesting how they did that name switch yeah okay so it seems like caleb so caleb was christina's white counterpart in the book they chose mm-hmm. to make christina they chose to make caleb a woman in the series naming him christina and so that she still kept a sense of herself from the books because she also moved as a man as William. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of people pointed out the fact that they thought that William and Christina were one in the same because William and Christina were never in the same room together. Like even at the mm, break. That's the, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like even at the mansion from season episode one, um, you know, William was there and said Christina was away, you know, on on business. And then um when Christina was out in Chicago playing with the kids, she was by herself. When she came back from the lodge after confronting Captain Lancaster, she goes into a house for a brief second and then William comes out and beats the crap out of them. And then, of course, we go back to the closet scene where you see that they both share the same room when in reality that was Christina's room where she had her men's clothes and her woman's clothes. And the nod that they were one of the same was the fact that um, William grabbed that scarf from Christina's side and used it as an ascot. Um, mm-hmm. for his himself so I, I thought it was a really smart move and it, it really complicates things right because Ruby it was already weird enough that Ruby slept with a white man right yeah and Ruby slept with a white man who was really Christina mm-hmm. the whole yeah, time more layers. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's crazy more layers it's added like, like a quasi lesbian relationship and he and, and and you can tell that like ruby has feelings for william so how does that translate to christina and mm-hmm. obviously the encounters that christina had with ruby as william were genuine because it, it seems like christina does care for ruby so it's just that was just an interesting choice to make and i really yeah. think it brings a whole other level to the show so we we finished the episode with tick um calling the mysterious gia and he asked how she knew because if you remember in the first episode um gia called him and said like you're gonna die <laughs> pretty creepy right yeah yeah and, or no he called gia and she was like you're gonna die you went back mm-hmm. home you're gonna die so he asked her like how did you know and she's like you believe me now and hangs up on him and then he looks down to the page the word that he just decoded was die and it's just like dun 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 yep. and that is the end of the episode so, Ryan, what were your final thoughts on this? Uh, well, actually, I'm going to use my final thoughts to talk about the book because I got okay. too hyped about us getting into this episode that I forgot to tell y'all. Sure, sure. Uh, so, really, the the next chapter in the book is supposed to be the Hippolyta Disturbs the Universe, but we all know that ain't how I go on the show. So, you got to wait. So, I, I skipped down to the this uh, for this particular chapter. It's called Jekyll and Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde Park is the, mm-hmm. the chapter that goes with this one. Which I thought was cool because, you know, the, the episode is called Strange Case. And if you know Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I thought that was kind of cool yeah. how they how they did that. Yes. And um, I believe just real quick, I believe that when um, Ruby was basically beating the crap in so many ways out of Paul, uh-huh. he was actually watching a clip from the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah. 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 
It all ties see, together. I like, I, see, I love how they do all that stuff in here. I mean, it takes it takes Angelica, by the way, you guys. She be working these outlines because they be doing Ooh. all this kind of stuff. But it's it's so interesting, like how they put all that kind of those little facts and details in. But anyway, yeah. okay, so real quick. In the book, um, we get a little bit more um, kind of how Angelica touched on about Ruby's mom and how she owned like a hair salon and she would do like these little seances and stuff with the customers mm. and stuff. So I thought that was cool because it kind of shows you like how Letty and Ruby kind of get pulled into this little mystical world, so to speak, yeah. how they're not scared of it. So we get a little bit of that. Also, um, when you mentioned the tunnels under the museum and under Winthrop, we kind of get to see Caleb. Uh, talk uh, talk about how he wants to create like one lodge and there would still be like these different chapters and it's sort mm-hmm. of like this competition of who's going to own the lodges and stuff like that. I just thought it was interesting because it kind of gave you like a little bit more background and I'm kind of skipping over it but if you guys want to go back and read the details it kind of gives you a little bit more background on like each chapter and the different players and stuff because we were kind of figuring out we were like well how's all this stuff connected and how they're moving around you know within these different areas and stuff so it's kind of interesting if you guys want a little bit more details on that. Yeah, because we definitely saw that in the last episode with Yahima and the tunnels and how they basically were all the way in Boston, but somehow Mm -hmm. made it back to Chicago by just getting on the elevator going down a tunnel. So I feel like there are tunnels and they're connected by magic somehow. And so, yeah, it's super interesting. I totally plan on reading the book after I finish these recaps. Yes, yeah, yeah, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see this kind of stuff they change and they leave out and the details and stuff that they give you. Like, cause you like, we only got nice episodes and they had that much time. So they had to do what they had right. to do. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of cool details in the book. Yeah, well, we will absolutely dig into it. So we will talk to you guys next month for another episode of Lovecraft Country. And we're going to dive into my favorite episode. We get to kind of see the origins of the mysterious Gia, Meet Me in Daegu, which is like a movie, essentially. Yeah, yeah it um, is, yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk about it next time. Um, in the meantime, if you have any thoughts, please get us at, get at us on the Twitters. At mm-hmm. Black Girl Nerds, at BGM Podcast, at Black Girl Geeks. Ryan is November Bear. Yep. And one day I'll get my name right. I am Angie, the DA Cool Nerd. So let us know your thoughts, guys. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds Podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.